Good afternoon, folks. This is Randy Brunson here at the studios of Gwinnett Business Radio X with our outstanding engineer, Mike Salmon. And on the air with us today is my good friend and attorney, Cleve Hill. Cleve is with the firm of Hill and Watch Co. They have emphasis on wills, estates, and trust with some corporate work that they do. Cleve, welcome to the studio this afternoon. Glad to be with you, Randy. Good. And this is a continuation of the first episode that we have literally just wrapped up. And we were talking, we were talking about operating agreements and how they are built or sort of what's a best case scenario for how they're built to serve all of the shareholders or members of the organization well. And the question I posed just as we were wrapping up the first episode was what rights, if you will, or what authority or what standing do minority owners actually have? And what I mean by that is whether it's organized as an LLC with member interest or a corporation with shareholders, whatever you want to call those, the the ownership, if they have less than a 50% interest, what authority or rights do they really have? And my experience is that Practically speaking, they have very limited authority or rights. Really, all you have is the full faith and credit, Mm -hmm. the integrity, the honorable intent of majority ownership, right? So talk more about some of the legal rights that the minority owners have. Sure. Well, of course, the the first one is the easy one. They they have the right to get a distribution equal to their percentage ownership in, in the business. That's the part everybody likes. Right. The other big right that, that they typically have, and, and I'll kind of put an asterisk on that and come back in a moment, okay. uh, is, is the right to have information about what is transpiring in the business. So to be present at meetings of the shareholders, meetings of the board of directors on occasions, depending on how it's it's set up. But to be there and know how the decisions are being made. Uh, importantly, to have information on the financial health uh, of the business as well. Uh, they'll also have uh, sometimes rights to go into the court system to uh, enforce uh, those information rights. And depending on the type of entity it is, they could have other, you know, kind of legal rights. You'll sometimes hear uh, derivative suits and those sorts of things, which I right. never never really get into. But um, those information rights, the right to receive distributions, uh, those are really it. Now, sometimes I will have clients uh, when they're formulating these businesses, they will give the minority maybe a, another seat at the table on issues like, a sale of all the assets or a sale of, of the business, uh, you know, completely. Uh, they won't basically be given an additional vote or anything like that, but they'll give some heightened information rights and involvement in the issue of, of selling the business or the assets of the business. So, uh, but to your point, a lot of it is, here's my money and I hope you do a great job with it. Right. You know? Okay. All right. So it's, just the, the the notes I'm I'm taking notes as we as we go along here just for my own edification. But they have the right to distribution based on their ownership percentage. They have rights to different kinds of information, the decisions being made, the financial health of the business. Mm-hmm. And then of course they have rights in court as described in the agreement to if they feel like there's been a breach or there's been misuse or abuse of, of their shareholder rights and they can uh, uh, have redress in, in court. Mm-hmm. That's uh, right. Okay. Those, those kinds of things. You you were sharing a story. We talked on the first episode, we talked about the Texas shootout 
provisions. And during the break, you were telling a story. So describe for us again what the Texas shootout provision is and then sure. the story that you were sharing. Sure. So we use this in scenarios typically where we have two equal owners in the business. Okay. Uh, this provision basically says if they've reached a deadlock and uh, continuing on in the business and the partnership is not going to be viable, um, one can come to the other and make an offer to purchase their shares or, or membership units. With the delivery of that offer, a right arises for the recipient. And that recipient can either agree to sell at that price that their partner has offered, or that offer is treated as an offer for the extender of the original offer to sell at that same price that they've offered to their partner. Um, and the story I was, I was sharing with you, I had uh, two gentlemen who had been friends for well over 20 years. They decided to start a business together. And um, against my advice, they instructed me to remove that provision from their agreement. And it was an emotional decision for them that, that led to this. Um, they came back in to review the document together. Uh, they had both uh, struck through that provision in the document on their own, had come back and talked to each other about it, and they basically said, we've been friends for over 20 years. A deadlock situation will not arise. So, so if I'm hearing you, Jim and Joe show up. They've been friends for 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Hey, Cleve, we're going to start a business, draft an agreement for us. You put the shootout provisions in there, which it's basically a command performance. If, if they cannot agree, and it's a 50-50 arrangement, then if Jim, Jim is willing to sell or buy mm -hmm. Joe's interest, sell his interest or buy Joe's interest, but the number's the same. So right. they have to eat their own cooking. That's what the Texas shootout provision is. That's right. So Jim and Joe show up. They came in to review the documents. They said to you, Cleve, we love your brother, but we've been friends forevermore, amen. Our, we go camping together. We go to the beach together. We travel the world together with our families, all this kind of stuff. No way there's going to be a break in this relationship. Take out the Texas shootout provision. They, they Th that did. was their instruction to that, you. That was their instruction. And we talked at length that day about the pros and cons. Yeah. And I said, you know, if this ever dissolves in the future and this provision is out, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not a I told you so person typically, mm -hmm. but I am telling you so now that you guys can't predict what's going to happen in the future. I can't either, but what I do have is knowledge and experience where I've seen these yes. blow up. And what I did was I followed their instructions but I gave them a, a memorandum mm -hmm. saying, you have, I've recommended to you that this provision be in here. And I cut and pasted the provision into the document that I made them sign that said, I provided this advice to you. You've declined it. And I want you both to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody on my doorstep, if this blows up, to say, why didn't you tell us to do this? I did tell you to do it. So fast forward 10 years, they had had a very successful run, but it blew up. And they ended up in litigation because they had removed the singular provision that provided for an out Wow! in that scenario. And, um, and, and I, I saw one of them later and he said, 
you predicted. And I said, I didn't predict. I just had experience to go on. I understand because we, those are, those are tough calls to make. Sometimes for that, that, that can pop up in different, in different forms in our business life as well. Sure. A, a common one. This is interesting. This has been a development over the last 20 years, but a common one is in the area of long-term care insurance. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as you well know, nobody can predict the future. We don't even know for sure that we're going to wake up tomorrow morning, right? right? We have this day. But prudence dictates that if a a financial statement is of a certain size and is made up of different of certain components, you know, different kinds of assets, that there there can be yours a need for long-term care insurance for certain households. Mm-hmm. And we recommend it. Sure. The challenge with long-term care insurance is is the basic cost-benefit analysis. Our, our firm does not sell insurance. We're not in the insurance business. We're an we're uh, independent wealth management firm. that uh, it, It's a fee-for-service uh, in, environment. But you know, we, we know we have strategic partners that do that we can say, hey, talk to these people. But the challenge is sometimes just the raw cost of it in, in the short term. Sure, right? sure. And if, if we get much meaningful pushback on that, we will do the same thing. We've, we've got to just, you know, you know whatever. We, we, we need a record that, hey, you know, we've made this recommendation and you've chosen a different, a different path. No, you didn't, know the, you didn't know the future for those two people. No. But why on the face of God's green earth would someone show up at your office, go to the, through the effort of building out a well-thought-out operating agreement and ignore your years and decades of experience by saying, we're not going to do that. just doesn't make sense to me, it, but then... It was totally an emotional call for, wow. for those guys. It Pure and simple emotion. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's change subjects for a second. Talk about uh, wills, estates, trusts, su- succession planning in particular, mm-hmm. all right? Because many of our clients own businesses. Some are second generation owners. We've interviewed some of those second generation owners here on the podcast before. Some are first generation owners. We've interviewed some of them. Uh, But let's say we have a scenario where it's a a classic family owned business in America where you've got a founder who's a parent. There's some adult children that are working in the business. And for a couple of reasons, the parents want to begin the transfer of ownership interest. Okay. There can be several reasons for that. One of the reasons that we have found parents want to start the transfer of ownership interest is just the classic, you know what, our net worth is growing, and whether whether they are currently subject to estate taxes or not, the trajectory is that they will be, certainly during their lifetime. That's one thing. And then the other consideration is they may want the children involved in business long term and transferring ownership as a way to build out the next generation of leadership within the firm. So when it comes to the operating agreement and succession planning, what are the considerations? Is it, if they're doing it just for estate tax purposes, how do you think about it? If they're doing it to bring the children into the business as the next generation of ownership, how do you think about it? And what if you've got some children that work in the business and others that are pursuing other things? How do you think about things like equity and parity? No, no, it's, um, I think the place it's got to start is an open conversation. Okay. And that sounds simple and, and mundane, but what I have repeatedly run into with our small and medium-sized family business mm-hmm. owners yeah. is they don't like talking about this stuff. Okay, tell me more. It's, uh, 
you know, they've been so focused on, on growing and getting to the next deal and getting to this next landmark and, you know, talking about um, decoupling that part of their life and their personality to get it to the next generation. Uh, I have found is is difficult for some of these founders to to talk about. So sitting down and 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 having them walk with you, the advisor, through the the emotional side of it, any hangups that they have on it, and really talking about the strengths and weaknesses of the children that have come along and and are dipping their toes in the water of of the business. Um, do we need to? Uh, and, and this is really not law. Sometimes it's it's just counseling on you know mm-hmm. on sure. what needs to be done. But we've run into a lot of situations where yeah, the child has an interest in the business, and and I ask the pointed question, can they run it? Oh, yeah, that one, yes. And we get back a lot of surprising stares. Um, could you hand them the keys and walk away this afternoon and know that it's going to continue to run successfully and, and even grow? And when we get those stairs back or the just flat out no, they couldn't do it, then we need to start focusing on, all right, do we need to get them some mentoring? Do we need to get some additional education for them? That sort of thing. Because if if with a family business, if you don't have somebody to hand it off to, then you don't have a family business anymore. Right. So for me, that's the starting point is a, a open and frank conversation about what are your goals and wishes and do these children have what, what it takes, what it takes yeah. to, to get us there. So that's the opening salvo. And then we start looking at, okay, we need to get a valuation of the business. We need to get a, a business valuation expert in here to give us some some baselines on where we are with the value of this, th- this thing. Because again, a lot of these owners will come in and because they've just been so focused on growing the thing and, and farthest thing from their mind is, is exit strategy right. or being bought out. They'll have a guess at what they think it's worth. Uh-huh. But having an expert come in and, and do their due diligence and, right. and, and do all their comparables uh, really lets us know where we are. Do mm-hmm. we have an estate tax mm-hmm. problem? Are we going to have an estate tax problem? Uh, or is this business at a point where we could make some significant gifts from the founders to the children and and get this asset moved out as a gift rather than a, a capital gain sale transaction mm-hmm. uh, or is that capital gain sales transaction what mom dad the founders need and want do they need that stream of the payout coming to them over a period of years so, you know, basically at that point, we're going to bring somebody like you to the table who's their trusted financial advisor. Mm-hmm. We're going to get their CPA at the table. And really, we're going to look at the numbers and right. see what makes sense from a tax perspective. So there's the so the way we describe it internally, there's, there's this combination of soft data and hard data. And the hard data is cash flow and assets. And every household has some kind of cash flow, and most households, certainly households that you and I work with, have assets. They have some kind of an asset base. Marketable securities, real estate, business interest, a variety of things that, that can populate a financial statement. But but the soft data starts with that question, what do you want? Which is not, and, you, and you're right, that's not an easy answer. That's just, 
the, the ancient wisdom, there's a phrase from ancient wisdom that says, come now and let us reason together. So it's just, it's just, all right, let's, let's, let's get together. Like you said, let's have a conversation. Let's start exploring this topic. What does it mean? What are the primary motivators? What are the drivers here? You know, are we trying to reduce estate taxes? Do we have a heart for transferring the business to the children? Is it cleaner if it's purely an estate tax driven thing? How do we implement a variety of strategies to uh, transfer assets to people and causes that are meaningful to us, to mm-hmm. children, grandchildren, causes that matter if there's charitable intent? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, how do we minimize taxes if we want the children involved? Okay? Like you said, are they ready? Can we walk away today? You know, and the question that I ask myself, and you've probably given some thought to this, given your specialty and your experience and your firm, is could you do the same? Not that you're, I mean, you've, you've got minor, you've, you have children at home. Yeah, nine so and ten you're, year old. you're yeah. not ready to walk away and I don't know what your future looks like, go to the beach and whatever, but <laughs> anyways, you're having a great time. So but whatever those things are for all of us, right? And how do right. we, how do we approach this? And so, yeah, those are that, there are no single independent decisions or there's not like this one answer. That's the Holy grail. There's so many moving parts to this that it simply requires, requires thought conversation reflection and then looking at the available options mm-hmm. and the people and mm-hmm. saying okay one of my favorite teachers he, he he's done a series on decision making mm-hmm. and the way he phrases it he his setup question for this entire teaching series is this he said in light of our past experiences current circumstances and future hopes and dreams what is the wise thing to do now yeah. Right, and it's a great question. It's a great question. It's Andy Stanley's the one that's that's done that. Uh-huh. That's an Andy Stanley question, and he does it. And he has a great series on decision making that's uh-huh. available. And I, I think the uh, the podcast name is Your Move or something. But anyway, it, it's a great question that that so often we can apply in the, in the counseling and helping professions as you're in and we're in. Is okay in light of our past experiences, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams. What is the wise thing to do now? Because very, very, very few of the decisions that any of us are called on to make really boil down to things like good or bad, right or wrong. Those aren't the decisions. It's no. just what's the wise thing to do given the situation. Yeah, it's more nuanced than that. I mean, we we were involved in a situation. Uh, five or six years ago where we were doing traditional estate planning with with a business owner right um they had a um one of their three children was involved in the business very actively involved right and the parents had made the assumption mm-hmm. that that daughter wanted to take over the business at some point all right and they they told me just matter-of-factly our daughter, Jane, we'll call her, uh, she, she's our succession plan when I asked that question. And I said, well, what does Jane think about it? And that was a novel question to them. They had never asked Jane. What do you want? What do you want? Wow. Okay. Um, and that stupefied the, the father who uh, the wife was the primary founder of the business, but he was right there. And he said, how have we gone these years without asking her that question? And I said, well, the answer may very well align with what you assume, right? but it might not. So you you need to have the conversation. So they brought her to the table. She didn't want to run that business. She said, please do not 
put this on my shoulders. I enjoy working here. I enjoy helping. Right. I enjoy the, the fruits, but I don't want to run it. Right. Parents were totally shocked by that. And but it was the right question to ask, a very simple question to ask, but a very complicated and surprising answer to them. So what they thought was going to happen was not what ended up happening. So we we got them introduced to a business broker and, and started having these conversations. They were going to have to look outside the family mm-hmm. for what was going to happen with this business. So uh, that proved a point to me that uh, sometimes parents and I guess this applies to lots of things in life, will put their goals and wishes on the, on children. the children. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm very, try to be very cognizant in these conversations of, have you talked to the kids? <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great question. That's a great question. I, I know a recent situation, we've got six or seven minutes here, but uh, a recent situation, uh, 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 the father started a business. Um, uh, two of the three children, work in the business uh to his credit uh, he's told me that he did not start the business to give the children something to do or inherit that was never the plan it just worked out that they're good at this and so on and so forth and so he is aware enough as a person and uh the family's done as far as i'm concerned just done a phenomenal job with the children and i I don't know it's it's a it's a very very uh cool situation but his his thoughts about beginning the transfer of business interest is really driven by uh, estate tax considerations. Mm-hmm. You know, with the current estate tax exemptions, which are for a, ho- a married householder north of twenty two million. Twenty four million one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Okay, year. all right. So at the moment, a little over twenty four million with a sunset in twenty twenty. Uh, December 31, 2025, that sunsets. Uh, the uh, The bill was passed in 2017. They built in the sunset provision. January 1, 2026, we're supposed to go back to the 2017 exemption adjusted for inflation. That figure was $5,490,000. So we think with inflation, it'll be a little over $6 million per person come January of 2026. Okay, so uh, short of any short of any legislation that changes that, and uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, from Will Rogers, he said, "The difference between death and taxes is that uh, death does not get worse every time Congress meets." <laughs> so, uh, yes. but it's likely that there will be that there will be the state tax type of legislation over the next two or three years to address that sunset provision. But uh, l- let's say that it does not. You, you said that you, your thought is it will drop down to six million per person. That's and that's what they're thinking. Currently, roughly twice that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, the the twenty four million dollar married household exemption is sub- significantly larger than a twelve million dollar household exemption, and that twelve million dollar exemption will catch a lot more privately held business owners than a twenty four million will. And so, when we sit here with business owners in their 40s and 50s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and we look at, you know, we pull a financial statement and do one of those, like, drive-by valuations on the business or something mm-hmm. like this, mm-hmm. and then you start doing any any projection on growth based on very conservative estimates. And I'm not talking about growing a, a financial statement at 15 or 20 percent a year. I'm talking single-digit growth, sure. just with good habits and growth of business and other assets that we, that we experience over decades. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's like, all right, when you're 65, 75, 85, that's a pretty significant block of assets. And with assets going this one way on the trend line and exemptions, estate tax exemptions generally going the other way on the trend line, we need to have some conversation. Mm-hmm. Not We don't have to make decisions before breakfast, but we at least need to acknowledge that there's a potential uh, estate tax bill out here. That's right. And do we need to take advantage of this larger exemption while we have it? Go ahead, have the business valued and start making some gifts out to maybe trust vehicles. So let's talk, let's talk about that for a minute because you and I were in a conversation with some people the other day and there was, in, in this case, uh, there were two children in the business. Let's call them the children, Jim and Joe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there was another child that was not involved in the business. And so we were having that conversation about what can we do to begin to transfer assets mm-hmm. to reduce the state exemption. Mm-hmm. And then the other considerations were how do we how do we begin to transfer assets to reduce future estate tax considerations? How do we protect those assets? Because all three of the children were single. How do we protect that ownership interest mm-hmm. from future spouses that may not honor the family? I don't know how, quite how to say that, but there's, I'm sure there's really good words you have for that. And then, in addition to that, is there a way to use ownership, business ownership, as an incentive or reward for the two that do work in the business and at the same time create a, a situation where there's equity or parity for the one that does not work in the business? So, in the few minutes we have left, uh, give us some insight, man. Well, uh, one of the, the vehicles we use... Uh, for that a lot is is a a trust an irrevocable uh, grantor trust we call it um, where mom and or dad would set up this trust for the benefit of the children we have the stock and the business appraised and and they start you know again with their team looking at how much they want to want to move out those trusts are attractive for a host of reasons Uh, two of, of the most primary, I believe, are A, it provides asset and creditor protection for the, the children as the beneficiaries of the trust. So if they get sued or if they go through a divorce, it's going to provide a, a pretty heightened level of protection for them around those assets that would be off limits to creditors and spouses in a divorce context. So that's number one. Number two, if we are looking to reduce estate taxes, um, using that grantor trust uh, is a way to uh, have the giver of the gift part with ownership uh, into the trust and uh, you know we have it valued we make the gift and then any appreciation and growth on the value of that stock or whatever asset they're moving in uh, that growth happens outside of their taxable estate so we've been able to use some of the estate tax exemption to move some assets out and let the growth happen outside the estate tax system all right so if I'm hearing you well, what you described was an irrevocable grantor trust mm-hmm. established by the parents, the business owners. Mm-hmm. They can be, it, obviously, you've got to get the business valued so mm-hmm. that you can assign a value to each share. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you get the business valuation completed. And then the first generation begins the transfer of shares to the irrevocable grantor trust. Mm-hmm. Children. Or beneficiaries, mm-hmm. the irrevocable grantor trust has asset protection provisions, mm-hmm. and is 
structured such there's a very high bar so so that if the if the children marry and then later get divorced that it protects those shares from an ex-spouse mm-hmm. it wouldn't be treated as a marital asset at least under georgia law so it, under georgia law it's not a marital asset it's a it's an individual asset so it protects it in that and also protects from bankruptcy okay and at the same time okay so the parents then transfer the shares mm-hmm. there's a uniform gift and a state uh framework mm-hmm. okay but the parents transfer the shares that have a current value but while the expectation is the shares will continue to grow in value as the business grows mm-hmm. okay that growth over the years and the value of the shares is out of the estate of the parents because from the year they made the gift so there's a value the, the year they made the gift but let's say the parents are 45 and or whatever and the children are 25 i'm making i'm making this up as i go along okay sure, sure. so or whatever happens but there's decades to go of, of future business growth mm-hmm. okay and all of that growth is outside the estate because it's owned by this irrevocable trust and the fact that it's irrevocable as i understand it in law means that it is outside of the care custody and control of the owners founders donors grantors those people that put the stock in there that's that's exactly right and and parting with that ownership is what gets it out of out of the estate okay so so in 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 a trust arrangement there is a trustee mm-hmm there's donors that put stuff in, or grantors. The, the people that put stuff into the trust are called what? Grantors. Georgia uses a, a term called settlor, but you'll hear donor, settlor, grantor all mean the same thing. So those terms are generally synonymous with each other. They the, are. the Georgia term in Georgia law is settlor. They're the person that makes it okay. So can that settlor also serve as the trustee of this very specific irrevocable grantor trust? My advice is always no. Okay, uh, so you don't want the you don't want the business owner to serve as the trustee of this irrevocable trust. That's right, because the IRS on an audit could say you have kept one of those three C's that you control. mentioned, the control piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to get somebody other than the the donor settlor to to serve in that role. Otherwise, it causes a significant gray area in that control issue because if the because whoever's a trustee is the person that effectively controls trust assets they have legal ownership of the assets now the the beneficiary has beneficial ownership, ownership. okay um, now in in georgia law and in most other states too it is permissible for the beneficiary to be their own trustee uh, and there's some scenarios where that that works really well if you've got a in this scenario we're talking about if we've got a uh, an adult child who's very responsible involved in the business and you know is doing great they can be their own trustee and that can work really really well fascinating I, I could sit here and talk to you for the next hour i just i just find this interesting because as a firm we have run into a variety of situations and we've addressed these issues and i like to know the stuff i think it's interesting 
It okay. is to me too. Yeah, I <laughs> right. love it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. But we are, we are, we probably need to wrap this up before all of our listeners hang up the phone. Or, <laughs> well, what do you do with a podcast? You just hit delete. What do you do, man? But stop listening. How's so, that? There you go. So, whatever they do to stop listening, let's wrap this up before they do that. So, hey, folks, this is Randy Brunson with Centurion Advisory Group here on the podcast Stewarding Family Wealth. We appreciate you listening. We're here on Gwinnett Business Radio X. Tune in next time for more fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you.